Hi, and thanks for hitting the snooze button. I'm Neil Headley. I was prepared to write off a literal lifelong battle with insomnia to just be in part of doing more than 30 years of morning radio and television. When I dug a little deeper, it turned out there was way more to learn. So in this series, we try to help people fix their sleep by figuring out why mine is so horribly broken, and maybe we stumble upon some answers together. I get to geek out a little this week and introduce you to a guy who has had me in his fan club for a long time. If you've heard past episodes, you might have heard me talk about meditation a couple of times and mention the meditation app that is the go-to in our house 10% happier. Well, our guest this week is one of the co-authors of the second book in the 10% series and not only walks us through the impact that meditation has on sleep, but also wraps up this week's show with a guided sleep meditation that will also make available all by itself as a bonus episode. So if you're a subscriber, it's already sitting in your podcast app of choice waiting for you to try it out all by itself tonight. Also, Stick around at the end of the episode. I have a special offer for you from the 10% Happier folks aimed specifically at giving frontline healthcare workers and some essential workers as well some much-needed peace of mind in the middle of all things coronavirus and COVID-19. But in the meantime, what are my meditation heroes, Jeff Warren? Well, Jeff, here's the thing. Everybody that's on the show whether they are a world-class neuroscientist or the lead guitarist for a rock band, everybody gets the same first question on the show, and that is this. How did you sleep last night? (laughs) I wish I was a world-famous guitarist. I would have a much better (laughs) answer. (laughs) Although maybe not in these social distancing times. I actually slept well last night, which was amazing because I'm a new dad. And still in the first seven months. So my wife and I wake up. I mean, I'm not a great sleeper anyway, which we can get into, but we, because of him, we were waking up two, three times a night. Um, but he slept 12 hours last night, which is crazy. He has never done that before. And my wife and I just, we had good sleeps. So I think partly because of the exhaustion and <laughs> who knows what. So there it was the night before, not so good, but last night was good. So when sleep doesn't show up for you, what do you do? Well, this is uh, something I can talk a lot about, you know, because of being a meditation teacher and being interested in sleep and having written a book about sleep and dreaming and waking. And um, what I've learned to do when sleep doesn't show up, uh, a bunch of things. Uh, The first thing and the most important thing by far is I have learned to not get uptight about the situation. The more you fight against the fact that sleep is not showing up, the more wakeful you're gonna get. It's just a doomed battle. So the first thing I do is I, um, I just go, okay, this is how things are right now. I know the more agitation I have in my body, the more agitated my mind will be. That's something you see very clearly as a meditation teacher. So I do that. Um, and then I decide whether I'm going to Uh, Yeah, then I implement, I would say my first wave is I implement the solution. Like my, this thing that I've figured out that sort of works for me. Um, And this is different than what I do before sleep for terms of the sleep hygiene and getting all my sleep, pre-sleep rituals that I could also talk about. Um, So the the solution for me is um, basically there's something, I need to figure out what to do with my mind and I need to figure out what to do with my body. Those are the two things. So I start with the body um, 
And that means that I basically lay there and then I pretend I'm falling asleep. So I start to breathe as though I'm sleeping. So, cause I know if I can get, I do a convincing enough job, my body will just take me down again. So I just start to slow my breath. I kind of pretend like I'm a little kid or something and my parents are trying to see if I'm sleeping or I'm an actor. And I just start to deepen the, the rhythm of the breath. And I, my body, I know without having to think about it, my body will just know how to breathe as though I'm sleeping. So I start to do that for a while. Now, I've heard, I've shared this technique with other people and some people find just that can really help. If you can get, let your mind get absorbed enough in what the body's doing, it can kind of take the mind with it and you can end up going down to sleep. However, the big challenge is for a lot of us, for me, I need some separate thing to do for the mind. I can't, sometimes it works to just to get really, have the mind be tracking the breath and getting really into the feeling of breathing and that can bring me down. But more often I need a kind of separate thing to do for the mind. So I, so my body starts breathing like it's just already falling asleep. And then my mind, um, what I find works for me is I start to notice the most bizarre, non sequitur bits of dream imagery. So I, I it like pre-dream imagery almost like, cause you know, as you're falling asleep and you enter that hypnagogic state, you get all these strange associations and um, bizarre images and sometimes even weird sounds and little body jerks and so I'll try to, as I'm doing this, I'll, I'll deliberately pay attention not to kind of rational waking things like my worries, my anxiousness, the fact that I'm totally screwed for tomorrow and all the usual loops I used to get into. Instead, I'll just sort of track in this very light way, whatever the weirdest thought is in my head. And then I'll kind of follow it and let it unspool. And then I'll follow some weird bit of imagery or some strange memory. And I'll kind of, and I'll just totally drift. I'll have no agenda. It's just like, I'm trying to lightly keep my mind on that floaty stuff. And I've noticed that if I can kind of keep my mind on that and then and keep my body breathing like I'm sleeping, I can basically slip into kind of a dream. And that often takes care of it. It's amazing. Um, so that would be my first main intervention. Um, uh, there's other sleep strategies too, but that's what works for me. And I can answer anything about that, but then I could... Also say if that doesn't work, then I usually go, okay, well, I'm just awake right now. Nothing is going to really work. So there's no point in just staying in bed and getting totally habituated to the feeling of the bed. Often then I'll get up, I'll go downstairs, you know, I might, and I might sit and just meditate for a bit or read something really unstimulating. And I try to have in my mind this framework that actually waking up in the middle of the night is completely natural. That the idea that that's some kind of, uh, that there's eight hours of consolidated sleep is the natural way to sleep is not true at all. It's a, basically a cultural invention. It's something we train ourselves into. And I, and as people get older, a lot of people experience sort of segmented sleep where they're awake at the beginning and they go down and then they're awake again. And, you know, it could be, they could, or they're asleep and then they awake and then they, they sleep again. And, and as long as I kind of know it's natural and I don't sweat it, I'll let myself kind of hang out downstairs and um, just try to be relaxed and just experience the kind of feeling of the night and accept that. And then when I start to feel like I'm getting a little bit sleepier, maybe in half an hour or an hour, I'll go back and I'll try that technique I started you with. So there's a lot there. That's, that's more or less uh, what I do. So... 
We in our house um, have become, in the last several years, uh, huge Jeff Warren fans. In fact, I will tell you unreservedly that my wife sleeps with you practically every night. Um, <laughs> and I mean that in the best way possible. Um, Not just because I'm a guitarist and a world famous rock band. <laughs> yes, exactly. That's what we keep. We're going to keep circling around to that, I think. Um so, I mean, and the reason she is able to fall asleep with you every night uh, is because you are one of the dominant voices in the sleep section of the 10% Happier app, which we have been uh, faithful subscribers to since the day it came out. Uh, 10% Happier app springs forward from um, a 10% Happier book written by Dan Harris from ABC News. And you and Dan together wrote the follow-up to 10% Happier called Meditation for Fidgety Skeptics. Um, now, for people who know nothing about that project, and, and here's how much I love everything 10% Happier, it's one of those things where if I really like you, you have received a copy of 10% Happier from me as a gift sometime in the last few years. If I really, really like you, <laughs> you've gotten both of the 10% Happier books, um, but there are a few people that I like that much. So... Talk to me about the genesis of all of that and how um, you and sort of Dan Harris got together to try and bring meditation out to the world because it's it's an interesting story, everything that's behind that second book in that series. Uh, sure. Well, um, I guess it's sort of how far back do you want to go? Uh, I, I've always been interested in how the mind works. It's sort of been my obsession without knowing that's what I was obsessed about because I've had many mental challenges like with ADD and kind of mood and energy challenges and sleep challenges. And so I wrote my first book in, uh, I started researching that book in the early 2000s. It's called Head Trip, Adventures in the Wheel of Consciousness and has a lot about sleep actually. Um, and as part of the research of that book, I got interested in meditation. I wanted to, I wasn't only interested in the brain, I was interested in what we can learn in real time in our own experience about consciousness and and what uh, and how to manage our minds in an intelligent way. And so, of course, meditation is the great oceanic source of wisdom in that respect, um, uh, at least one of them, practice, uh, but meditation specifically. So I got into a lot of Buddhist meditations that are doing lots of long retreats and et cetera, et cetera. And over the course of that, uh, I started getting encouraged by my teachers in the late 2000s, like 2009 or something or 2010 or something to start. He really thought I should teach meditation and encourage me to do it. I had never occurred to me to do that. I had, I, yeah, I just wasn't on my radar, but it turned out I did start doing it and I had an act for it, I guess, because of the journalism and being a good explainer. Um, also I was pretty honest about how totally unenlightened I am and all my problems. So I, I started to teach it and then, um, I wrote at some point, I wrote an article in the online New York Times thing called The Opinionator called The Anxiety of the Long Distance Meditator, all about uh, sort of my own attempt to get enlightened, <laughs> whatever that means. I had very different ideas about that back then. And that's when Dan discovered me and Dan sort of became, we became a pen pals before his 10% Happier came out. He'd, you know, email me and we kind of got to know each other a bit. And then after 10% Happier was a big success, he decided he wanted to write a sequel, um, this Meditation for Fidgety Skeptics. And he thought, who's the most um, uh, perfect, uh, experienced, uh, suave, brilliant, deep 
wise meditator that I could get to do this. And he knew immediately who that was. His name is Joseph Goldstein. <laughs> and so he asked Joseph, Joseph, would you like to write this book with me? And Joseph said, that sounds like way too much work. No. So then he went to me and said, dude, you're my number two. What do you think? And I said, I'm very happy to do that with you. So that was, and it was a big deal for me because I was sort of this unknown I mean, I had no interest in being more well-known. I just was this Canadian meditation teacher. I started a group in Canada and Toronto called the Consciousness Explorers Club. I was happy doing what I was doing, even though I was <laughs> a dirt poor. And, but of course, I didn't have a wife then. And I didn't have a baby. Uh, so anyway, he asked me to write this book. And that's the book you're talking about. And for that, it was, it was super fun. We basically, uh, we didn't want to be meditation evangelists. Uh, we weren't interested in trying to sell the practice to people who weren't already in it. It's more like we were living in a period when all of a sudden everyone was into it. So you have cops were getting into meditating and, you know, it started you know, showing up in hospitals and the caregivers and celebrities were doing it and, and on and on and on. So we basically created an itinerary where we got into this giant orange rock star bu bus. He's keeping the rock star trope alive here. Uh, nice. So, so we, this used to be, a, this is the bus that like, I think Funkadelic or something was in it. So, you know, it had some pretty dubious stains in there. So we got in there with, with, with the whole team and we basically drove across the country and we went, we kind of set up meetings with different people around the country who were trying to use meditation in a practical way to, in their workplace, in their life. So we met with cops, we met with um, neuroscientists, we met with like the army and uh, the cadets, we met with uh, random radio celebrities and various uh, other kinds of whoever groups like uh, young offenders, I guess, who were just getting out of jail, like all these different groups. And they would talk to us about how they were using it. And, and we would basically guide them in meditation and, and be a kind of resource for them to ask questions. And we had these pretty sweet adventures kind of cruising across the country. And it was a pretty non-meditative uh progression i'll say because we did the whole thing in like two or three weeks so it was very fast and frantic but it was fun and we had other friends with us and and then the book resulted in that so uh and it was it turned out to be a bestseller you know it just people because again it, it, it and then it, the book itself breaks down how to meditate in a kind of really uh easy way um not making it a big deal and then of course encountering real people having real challenges with it so you kind of you have to know how to uh, how to meet people where they're at and pretty quickly you get over your ideals of, uh, of meditation of which there's a lot and you end up in a very practical territory of how to help, how to help people. And that was, and that's more or less the story. Um, you know, book came out and that, and that ended up giving me more of a platform. So I do some stuff online for free, like my do nothing broadcasts on Wednesdays and Sundays. This is this free thing. People join me in meditation. Now I'm doing stuff with other apps too. And that's the story. One of the things, and I was going to come back to this question later, but you've set it up perfectly, so I'm just going to ask it now. Um, on the road trip that you were doing in your orange Funkadelic Rockstar bus, um, you were doing these bespoke meditations mm -hmm. for particular people. And and one of my favorite parts, especially because I listened to it as an audio book rather than reading the physical book, because, you know, you've got a guy who's a television anchor uh, and you've got the chance to listen to him read his book to you. I figure you take him up on that offer. Um, <laughs> but you had done a customized meditation for Josh Groban. 
that was about creativity. Can you, rather than listen to me drone on about what my impressions of that meditation are, can you just kind of give us a snapshot of what that's all about? Sure. Um, well, I mean, so this is sort of my, the thing I'm really interested in. I'm interested in uh, helping people customize practices that work for them. And what you learn is that meditation is a much more fluid, creative sort of medium than most people give it credit for. And so I, we spoke to Josh and had a really good kind of interview with him. And then he asked specifically for a meditation around uh, to help him with his creative process. So, um, and when you start to understand more about how the mind works, you start to realize how creativity works. You know, creativity is very much, it's not only about kind of this associative thinking that people imagine creativity to be. Creativity is a lot about space and silence. You know, this is, everyone sort of in, inherently knows that, you know, when you're not trying to think about a problem, uh, how you're just in the shower or whatever, that's when you get the solution to it. So sure. it's kind of, I think of it as sort of vertical versus horizontal thinking. That most of the time we're in sort of horizontal thinking, this kind of more linear problem solving, uh, where we're kind of trying moving from one thing to another. And sometimes there's more of an associative process in that, but it's still kind of forward moving, um, as opposed to vertical thinking, which is when you let the horizontal thinking kind of play out and you get quiet and you really are doing something else or you're just more in a place of kind of being, being open, then stuff comes up from underneath, uh, comes up sort of vertically into awareness, like pops like bubbles, like strange images, solutions to problems, ideas. And this, by the way, is you see this at sleep onset too in, in sleep. But so I kind of knew this. And so I wrote a meditation for him that was about uh, trying to cultivate that sense of open spaciousness of really doing nothing. To be honest, I'd have to, you'd have to repeat to me what the exact sequence was. But at the time, I just asked him what he was interested in and what he liked and what worked for him. And then I created a designed one around that. But I do that for so many people, but I just remember that part of it, that there was a lot of open space in it. And then it was, the idea was that it was something that he could do before he uh, goes into doing his composition or whatever. And so the principles are pretty general. So here's what I remember about it. And, and I've been dying ever since I heard that meditation for the first time and actually did it for the first time. I've been dying to ask you this question. Um, and, and we'll work our way back around to sleep and everything else in a second. The very first time I sat down to do that creativity meditation that you had put together for Josh Groban, the, the idea is, and I'm not going to do it justice, but is to focus on the space before the out breath turns back into an in breath, there's that no, little yeah. pause at the bottom. And you uh, ask everybody as you're guiding them through the meditation to really zero in on that moment, no matter how long it lasts, because sometimes it only lasts, um, uh, you know, milliseconds. Other times it's a couple of seconds, depending on your breathing. But focus on that. And the more you focus on that, then the more you can focus on the the not doing and, and the, as you called it, the quietude of everything that's going on. So there I am one morning sitting at the radio station, getting ready to go on the air. It's about an hour to showtime. And I thought, you know what? I'm going to try this now. So I sit down, I find a good, comfy, quiet space where nobody's going to bother me. And I start focusing on the pause between the out breath and the next in breath. And the only way, Jeff, I can describe this 
and I, I, I hope I'm not the first person to say this to you, or I hope you don't just say, okay, you're an idiot. I have to go now. Uh, but here's what happened to me. <laughs> I, I only can describe it as if you ever watched the TV series, stranger things. Yeah. Yeah. You know, that big black, empty, dark space where sometimes one of the main characters, 11 winds up where there's just blackness and nothing as far as the eye can mm-hmm. see. Mm-hmm. I stepped into that spot. It almost felt as if my consciousness had literally stepped off of a cliff and there was nothing above me, nothing under me, nothing around me. And the fatal flaw, and I think it becomes a fatal flaw for anybody who is learning meditation is that I could never get back there again because every time I sat down with that meditation again, I tried to get back there. Exactly. But so do you have any insight on what happened to me in that moment where I lost all sense of up, down, left, right, time, space, anything? What happened to me? Uh, yeah. I mean, that's interesting. So you're in my, this is my favorite subject in the world to try to talk about. I mean, you're actually in kind of deep end meditation territory, um, probably because you had no expectations and no ideas about what you, you weren't trying to get anywhere. So in a very natural way, your body dropped into some different people talk about it in different ways. You can think of it as sort of like the ground of consciousness. Uh, some people talk about it as a cessation. It may or may not be that. I mean, the, the line to remember meditation is subtly significant. So as you get more experience in it, there's all kinds of subtleties you become aware of in your experience. Subtleties of space, of emptiness, of, of pleasure, of you get much, you get clear about how certain dynamics of mind work. And there's, there's a lot to learn. So I, since I wasn't in your experience, I can't say with certainty one of many different sorts of things that happen. But what I can say is that you dropped into a kind of open, spacious place that most experienced meditators and teachers would argue or would either through reading and learning or from their direct experience is what's below the kind of content of the mind. Um, the, the thoughts, the images, the memories, there's a kind of much larger, more open, spacious place, you could say, and that there's different ways into that space. Um, and that space in a way is who you really are. It's there's sometimes there's awareness there. Sometimes there's not, it's hard. This is kind of where it gets paradoxical. Uh, but what I can say is there's, uh, an insight people have again and again in meditation that they are, that's what they mean when they say, you're not your thoughts you're not the images, you're not your body. You're not all these things because there's a, you kind of realize that you're this open, empty awareness and that's who you are and that, and it has no content in it. Uh, and that's why you get these deep mystical insights from there about, Things are not as they seem, you know, we're all walking around in a mind and body. I'm thinking about what I had for lunch. I'm thinking about this tomorrow. I'm noticing my legs, my arms, and, and we don't ever imagine there's another thing going on, which is that, uh, another way to think of it is that there's an awareness that's aware of all that stuff, but the heart and the center of who you are is that empty awareness. And what meditators say is that's the same empty awareness as in everybody else too, and that the, the, what you are, what, all the things that you think that make you distinct are more like an activity that you've just temporarily joined for the 85 years of your life, this body, this mind. But when you, and this is why 
in some traditions, meditation is completely understood as preparation for dying. You know that you, you learn how to connect to this, your own death in wakefulness. You learn, and as you do, you learn that you're not, to not hold so tightly on your mind and body. You get much more relaxed. You have a more easygoing, let's say fair attitude to the vagaries of life. You don't suffer as much. And then when you come down to die, you know, in a sense, you're not going to die because that awareness, which is empty, is just going to continue on, even if it doesn't have the material of you in it anymore. So I just laid out a whole ton of mystical shit. I don't know if your people listening to this are going to be into it, but this is, you know, this is basic meditation phenomenology. And you, as a complete amateur, just lucked into it. And it shows that you don't need to be some big expert to kind of have those insights. In fact, I gather and I would guess that a lot of your listeners have had flavors of it even though they may not have known that's what it was or they've had, and because these things also bubble up and express themselves in our experience in many, many different ways. So anytime anyone's having an experience of feeling this sort of, uh, how would I explain it? The kind of perfection and completeness of a moment of feeling like time is slowing down, of feeling like they're somehow connected to the whole field of what's going on. These are different facets or expressions of that pardon me, of a kind of core insight uh, that's around what I'm trying to talk, what I'm pointing to here. I'm going to throw you um, the biggest softball since uh, the pitch thrown by Mitch Williams that lost the Philadelphia Phillies, the World Series to the Toronto <laughs> Blue Jays uh, 30 years ago. Um, because you, you talk about whether or not this audience particularly might be into uh, meditation and and these states of consciousness and I feel like for those very few I think who might still be on the fence because I think meditation has through apps like 10% and and calm and headspace and all the others I think meditation has become so much more mainstream in the last even decade um, but for those who might still be sitting there going okay I don't understand how this is going to benefit me I don't understand how it's going to benefit my sleep let's take it right back to the very basic softball question of what is meditation for? Um, yeah, I mean, it's, uh, how would I describe it? It's such a general question. Um, and there's so many answers to that. So what I just described was more like, it's sort of what more happens in an advanced meditation practice. Um, those advanced practices, although it can happen in an amateur practice too, those advanced practices in most traditions Basically, meditation is to, within Buddhism, the point of meditation is to come to the end of suffering. It's a way to get so clear about how the mind works that you suddenly know how to relate to your experience in a way where it's not that there's no pain in your life, because pain can't, is always going to be there. It's that the chronic suffering of feeling disconnected, of feeling lonely and alienated, of feeling like you need to control all the variables, of feeling exhausted and tense and anxious that starts to no longer dominate your life. So it becomes a way you could say of becoming more and more fulfilled and happy independent of the external conditions of your life. That would be, that would be pretty much explicitly why most Buddhists are practicing. Um, and even within other spiritual contemplative traditions, that's just one way of talking about it. They would say you're practicing to know who you really are, to have a clear understanding of reality, because there's a, the understanding of reality we have now is determined by the mind and the mind has all of these limitations and delusions that it's sort of subject to. So there's different answers depending on your tradition, but in general, it would be to uh, change your consciousness. So you come to a place where you're more able to help others and less suffering yourself. 
And I would say in a less grandiose way, that's what meditation is for pretty much everyone else too, even who are just starting out. It's a way to find a little bit more space and a little bit more composure in your experience, a bit of a reset. So there's less, less of the ways in which you normally suffer in your life are there. And you're just a little bit more present for others and you're a little bit more effective in your work and you're a little bit more sane in your dealings. Um, and it's just a progression. You know, it starts out like that. And, but the more you do it, the more you devote yourself to it, the more the insights that we're talking about start to kind of make themselves known just in different ways. Um, yeah, that would be, I guess, one way to talk about it. And it's not something that necessarily requires a huge investment of your time either, right? Not at all. I mean, you can meditate five minutes a day. And meditation doesn't have to look like anything. It's just, I mean, the core of meditation is just doing nothing. It's being and not doing. So all the time we're in this chronic condition of doing. That's the problem. The mind is constantly trying to secure itself and get the next thing figured out and get the next widget and figure this out. And it's like, it's racing to, 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 to solve all the problems of life and life just keeps throwing more problems at you. So it's this sort of hopeless Sisyphean task of trying to roll the boulder up the mountain, you know? And so meditation is just saying, fuck that. Excuse my French. <laughs> like I do that all. I can do that for 23 hours of the rest of the day uh, or 23 and a half hours or 23 hours and 40 and 59 minutes of the rest of the day. But for this one minute here, I'm going to just sit and not do anything. I'm going to just practice being okay with my existence, not trying to secure myself in any way and see what happens. And at first it's hard because of all the momentum of our neurotic worrying and everything, but pretty soon, or maybe a little later, it depends on the teacher and depends on the instruction that you get. But we do find a way to sort of relax and let ourselves have a bit of a reset. So we're in a, so what it, that feels like is just sitting, you know, on a, on your porch after a long days of work and being happy you're there. Just not trying to be anywhere else, just relaxing, kind of listening to the birds, or maybe you're sitting on your fire escape and you're just being. And the more we practice just being, the more we it's like that line subtly significant. The more we see that there's so much there, there's a sort of vertical richness that we can drop into instead of, and this gives us more capacity. It gives us more sanity, more peace. And there's nothing, there's no big deal about it at all. It's just the most ordinary thing. And in fact, tons of people figure this out on their own anyway. They figure out activities or especially smart old people. They figure out ways to just chill and in a sense to kind of begin to harvest some of the benefits of meditation. All a formal meditation does is make those benefits more explicit and make the skills and the practices a little bit more explicit so you can accelerate that progression, that development. I have a fictitious person in my head, and because we haven't uh, visited this image in a second, let's say he's the guitarist for a rock band, um, <laughs> he is having trouble falling asleep tonight. And so he thinks to himself, screw it, I'm going to download a meditation app, and I am going to uh, meditate myself to sleep. My very strong hunch is that um, while that's an interesting idea, uh, people who are using meditation exclusively as a sleep tool are putting an awful lot of pressure on their meditation practice. Am I close? I mean, yeah. Well, first of all, different meditations create different effects and different those effects affect different people in different ways. So you there's some experimentation. It, you can use meditation as a way to slow things down and get relaxed. And that will then potentially make things easier to fall asleep. 
But, and that, and those have to do with meditations that are more around simple concentration practices, like focusing on the out breath, which is sort of the parasympathetic response and really not getting, you're not focusing on the alertness side of meditation. You're focusing much more on the tranquility side. And if you can find a practice that helps you with that, then that, it, that can be an aid. Um, I actually do something similar like that. I, I do that and it definitely slows me down. And I feel like it's easier to fall asleep when I do that. But if you didn't know anything about meditation, you could also sit there and be doing some a meditation that creates a lot of alertness and awakeness in your experience, and then you're going in the wrong direction. So you kind of, you know, and there's not even like I can say this kind of meditation does this and this kind of meditation does that, because even though there are tendencies I could generalize about, you have to kind of do it for your, I would need to work with somebody, hear them do it for themselves, talk about their experience, and then I can begin to get a sense of how their nervous system works, and then you can kind of you know, zoom in and give them some better, a better response. And since most people don't have a meditation teacher to do that with, and to be honest, most meditators can't do that anyway. Most meditation teachers teach one technique. So to find someone who's interested in multiple practices, a kind of generalist is, is not that easy. Then for that reason, we all have to become our own teachers. And we do, which means we just try things out for ourselves. We, so we download that app, we practice it. We say, well, how did I feel after that? I feel actually pretty good. I feel relaxed. I feel like I can fall asleep more easily and we try. Or we, we find out that, no, that didn't do the job. I feel more awakened than ever. So maybe I'll try something different. I mean, I wouldn't suggest your very first time trying meditation right before you fall asleep. I would try it during the day. Uh, although you might fall asleep. So you just, you know, I don't know if I've been remotely helpful at all, but I'm just being honest. <laughs> Well, but that's the thing, right? I mean, there's so many, there's so many different ways to come at it, I think. And, and I wonder if, because I, I already get a sense of what your answer to this question is going to be, but I'm going to ask it anyway. Are we better off trying to do a meditation, like a sleep meditation before we go to bed? Or are we better to try and fall asleep while meditating? Uh, I guess I would say try both and see what is the most helpful and see what works. I mean, what I'm saying basically here is actually not, well, is not different from what I suspect most of your listeners already know, which is you kind of kind of figure out what works for you. And so you listen to a podcast like this to get different tips and then you implement the the tips. Some of them work, some of them don't. The ones that work, don't work because they're better tips. They just work because they're more suited to your nervous system. Uh, similarly with the ones that don't. So there's just a sort of natural experimentation to do there. I mean, I would try both. Um, I would try meditating, uh, doing a, a very simple kind of practice that's focusing more on the tranquility. So as a general rule, that's not focusing on noticing every little thing that lets you be a bit lazy, that's much more about getting into the feeling of the breath and getting into the feeling of the body, relaxing. Maybe it's a light body scan, something that's super kind of already got some relaxing stuff built into it. I might try that just doing it on my couch or something. And then when I feel relaxed, I might have a cup of sleepy time tea with it, kind of slip into bed and see if that helps with things. It may or may not. And it may, and it, that may change. You know, one day it may work, another day it may not. Uh, and then I would also try doing one of those ones on say 10% happier. There's other ones too, where they're deliberately meant to be listened to as you're falling asleep where the voice kind of calms down and relaxes and those definitely help some people too. Um, I mean, I, I, I'm, I'm aware that maybe I'm not giving you the answers you want in terms of a monolithic, this works or that works, but I'm just being honest. It, it very much seems to depend on people's unique circumstances and, and experience and nervous system. 
Well, and that's one of the things that, I mean, by, by, even though you thought you weren't giving me the answer I wanted, you gave me exactly the answer that I wanted because the answer does end up being whatever works for you. And it's rarely going to be the same, exactly the same thing. Cause if there was one thing that would fix everybody's sleep, well then, okay, we fixed insomnia. Let's move on to world hunger next. Um, you know, and I, I, I think the, the, the number of things that are out there that are options for people, you know, and, and I'm, I'm picking up the idea that you got into this in, uh, in your book, Head Trip as well, your first book, where there are all kinds of things. I mean, my mission is to kind of help sort out what the snake oil is, you know, uh, the idea of a weighted blanket. It just seems bogus to me, but I know there are a ton of people who say, no, no, it's amazing. You have to try it. So you know what? I'm going to go and try one for a couple of weeks, see if it works, report back on what it did for me. It doesn't mean that it's not going to work for everybody just because it didn't work for me. I just kind of want to give everybody an idea of what my experience is. You know, one of my favorites and people who listen to the show regularly know this. Uh, this idea that, uh, hey, pop some melatonin uh, before you go to bed and you'll be right as rain. Well, no, that's not what melatonin's for. That's not what it does. But if that's one of the things I need to try because that's next on my lab rat experiment list, then I'm in. Um, you know, I, it, it's it's a different answer for everybody. And part of the fun is is trying to figure out all the different things that work because research tends to be me search and I'm excited to get to an answer. Um when we were swapping emails back and forth, uh, you suggested, um, and I don't know if there's time, um, you suggested maybe a guided meditation. Happy to do that. Yeah. Also, just for curiosity, people's curiosity's sake, I, I can share what works for me, the tips, because I spent my life being somebody who struggles with sleep. Um, and I also find melatonin doesn't work for me. It gives me restless legs. Um, and I tried a weighted blanket. <laughs> it didn't work for me. I found it too constraining. But my friend who swore by it, it works for her like a charm. Um, my little pre-bedtime ritual is I take, uh, I have a sleepy time tea and mix some magnesium in with it. And I have a GABA. Uh, GABA, that does seem to relax me. Um, and then I do, I'll do a kind of, I, if I'm in a good place and I have the time, my wife and I will really do a deliberate wind down, like definitely no screens or any of that, or even stimulating books before an hour and a half before. And we'll just kind of, we'll do a simple meditation. We'll stretch, you know, maybe do some, um, some stuff like that. We're lay, we're lay, laying down, stretching in our kind of practice space. And I just, and you got a candle and I got some really mellow music on and, if I'm doing things right, that that's setting it up as good as I can. Uh, it doesn't always to totally work, but I find that the more I can, because it's just like you got this nervous system that won't turn off. So what I've, it's like, what's going to make my nervous system turn off? Well, those are the things that are going to get my nervous system, not turn off, but like, you know, deactivate versus being highly activated. Those are some of the things that work for me. Um, well, and I, I, I assume that especially for you with ADD, that the the winding down part can sometimes probably be extremely challenging well yeah it's very it's very challenging that's why i it's not just the add i also have different energy kind of things i have to deal with so the other thing i take sometimes that helps me is i take a small lithium supplement like a five milligram over the counter uh it's almost like taking a mineral or something but that also can bring the energy down a little bit and it helps me you can order it you know over the internet it's not like people with 
you know, who really take lithium take like 1200 milligrams and it's not like that. It's just like a, this small amount, but that can also bring it down a little bit and help. Uh, but yeah, no, that's the challenge. I mean, I know exactly what the challenge is when the energy's up and the and nervous system's all excited, forget it. There's no way I'm going to fall asleep. And I've spent so much time watching what happens at sleep onset and watching what, what works and what doesn't like from a point of view of the, from the mind, it's not a, there's no mystery there. I know exactly what's going on with everyone. Most of the people in your podcast in terms of if they're not being able to fall asleep roughly from a kind of mind body perspective, but as to what's going to help them, that's the thing. That's the mystery. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> and it's a fun mystery to try and solve uh, because there are so many different options. And, and um, certainly, uh, as I said to you before, my wife sleeps with you pretty much every night. Um, and, and so she swears by all of your meditations, um, at least that she's heard on the, the 10% happier app. And I think from you in the sleep section of that app, I, I want to say there's about a half a dozen that are yours, including, I know there's one called sleep river that I'm a big fan of. There's another one called the big wind down or, or yeah, I think it's the big wind down. Um, and there's a number of them in there and, and I'm a fan and I, I, I know from people who are also subscribers to that app that those are things that people swear by to help them get to sleep as well. Yeah, well, cool. Well, I mean, I'm happy to guide you in a very simple practice um, that's a little more oriented towards settling settling the, the nervous system. And we can do it now. Your listeners can try it now and then they can, you know, listen to it again before bed if they want. Um, do you want me to do that? We absolutely can. If you've got the time, sure. Sure. Okay. So maybe. So I let me let me set it up this way to keep that uh, earlier imagery going. Um, if, if he is the Eric Clapton of meditation teachers, <laughs> yes, Jeff Warren. <laughs> yeah. Yes, I'm on a ton of cocaine right now. As a matter of fact, so it's going to be pretty excitable this meditation. <laughs> okay. Here we go. So. So in my head, I'm wondering, should I just guide a super dead simple meditation that people can do anytime? Or should I guide one specifically that's about before sleep? Uh, so I might do those differently, but I'll just do a kind of hybrid. So you can close your eyes. You can have them open, just looking at the ground in front of you if that's more comfortable. But since we're doing a sleepish one, you close your eyes. And then take a few breaths here at the top to and get yourself organized. Oh, I should say, actually, yeah, if you're doing this for sleep, you know, lay down. <laughs> Sit up. So you're laying down and as you breathe in, you're kind of, you're taking in some oxygen. Kind of that's your breathing in is sort of just checking with where am I at? Where am I at right now? Am I feeling relaxed? Am I feeling, you know, wound up? Wound up? Just kind of getting clear on what, where you're what's going on with your mind body right now. There's lots of thinking, there's not so much. And then on the exhale, you don't really care about all that. <laughs> You're forgetting what you learned. So breathe out and nice, make the exhale nice and long. So long exhale means that you're sort of activating that parasympathetic response, the rest and digest. That's always why people tell you in yoga to make the exhale a little bit longer than the inhale. Same here, so breathe in. And then nice long exhale. And as you're doing it, deliberately kind of take a moment to soften the worry lines of your forehead. 
And then soften your cheeks and your jaw. Soften your shoulders. It's like every time you breathe out, it's like a little letting go. See if you can land a little bit more firmly or deeply in your bed. So you, if the outbreaths, think of it as like you're breathing out tension. You're softening the worry lines. You're sinking a little bit deeper. And really let this sinking happen. Sometimes when we're laying down, we think we're, we're, we're kind of as relaxed laying down as in, in a way that's as relaxed as we could be. But we actually realize that we're sort of a little bit uptight. You're kind of holding yourself a little bit above the mattress somehow, as weird as it sounds. Like you're still tense somewhere. But really let yourself go kind of jello. You can imagine as you're breathing out, you're actually sinking in a little bit deeper each time into the mattress. And now, since I, I mentioned it off the top, why not we'll do this. Let your breathing start to kind of slow down in the sort of natural way in which it does. Even begin to approximate a little bit the the breathing you do when you're sleeping, which tends to be, well, I don't know, actually, I won't script you. Pretend you're falling asleep and let your, your breath kind of naturally fall into the rhythm that happens at that time for you. And by the way, if this whole, if it, if it's just interfering things, manipulating with your breath like it feels like you're manipulating your breath and it kind of ends up wigging you out don't forget about all that part instead just notice the body relaxing and just breathe normally some people don't like you know paying attention to the breath at all because it can throw them but for others let yourself kind of play with this a bit play with the breath is sort of slowing down a bit And it's as though if someone were looking at you from outside, they, they wouldn't quite know if you're awake or asleep or not at this point. And we just keep doing this here. Keep breathing in this more relaxed way. Some people, you can just sort of keep your mind resting on the feeling of the body, relaxing, and the breath. And you can let that breath sort of just kind of float away with it. That might work. I mean, we're still early on in the meditation here, so I'm expecting everyone's still, still awake. But that can work as something to give your mind something to do. But there's other things you can get your mind to do. One is what I described, which is just and one of the features of falling asleep, if you uh, chapter on this on the hypnagogic, is you get these strange images sometimes, hypnagogic imagery. And even at the beginning here, you know, you might be thinking about this meditation or wondering if this is going to work. But let yourself kind of let your mind get kind of loose and drifty. And just sort of notice what random images come into your mind's eye random associations and images. And the idea would be to kind of let your attention sort of float, deliberately choosing the weirder ones. So not indulging the strains of thinking that are more concrete and practical, but getting, letting yourself sort of pay attention to anything weird or unusual. 
even as your breath is slowing down. And you don't even want to be too curious here. It's more just like you're vaguely interested. You don't really need to make sense of what you're seeing. In fact, see if you can just drop or let go of any need to make sense, to be sensible. You're just this body breathing in a slower way. And the breath is sort of pulling the body in. And the mind is sort of skipping along, taking these random detours, floating doesn't even know where it's going and you don't even have to even know what my words are saying at this point. You can kind of let that outside world slowly fade out of your consciousness a bit so that the inner world expands the strange images, the body breathing. It's like you're being stretched out, stretched out pulled across this, this little dip. Brain waves are slowing down. Breath might be slowing naturally. And you're just, it's like you're tracing out a design with your mind and you don't even remember what it is anymore. You don't need to know what it is. And from there, you can just kind of take it on your own. At this point, I think my voice would just be an interruption. So sayonara, amigo. <laughs> Enjoy your nighttime weirdness. <laughs> I tell you what, Jeff, um, uh, and, and this is not just a cheesy way of bringing back the, uh, the imagery. Um, this has been every bit like, uh, talking to Clapton for me, cause we are uh, huge fans in our house. Um, and, uh, it was interesting listening through the guided meditation. It's, uh, not unusual for me at all to listen to a guided meditation with your voice on it. It's something that I do multiple times a week. Uh, and so I was right at home, uh, but I'm glad that for people for whom that might've been their first opportunity uh, that they're curious now and and want to do some digging about where they can connect with you further. So um, we'll have links for uh, the various apps that you're on, including 10% Happier. But as well, you had mentioned something to me uh, as we were getting set to go on here that you're doing online some some uh, classes that you're leading. Yeah, no, I mean, I do uh, twice a week. I have a free offering I, on YouTube um, and it, you can link to it through my website, jeffwarren.org. And I just guide people from around the world in a simple meditation. It's sort of my, I was doing it before the whole COVID thing went down on Sunday nights at 8 p.m. And then I added a Wednesday one just because people are more stressed and and it's really just a community. People come together, you know, we I might talk a little bit about some subjects or some theme really in a small way, like a few minutes. Uh, and then I'll just guide like a 25 minute practice, um, not for falling asleep, more practice just to kind of get relaxed. Uh, and sometimes there's a bit of a theme on that. And then afterwards people might ask questions and you know, the whole thing's about 45 minutes. So people are welcome to join for that. There's no fee, there's no, you just show up at 8 p.m. or on Sunday or at 12 p.m. Uh, on Wednesday, that's Eastern Standard Time. 
And from my website, you can see where the link is. I have a YouTube site. So that's an option for folks. Um, uh, and then I have a whole bunch of free meditations actually on my YouTube page and I have free meditations on my website. And I also write every few weeks, I write a post about some aspect of the mind and practice. And those are all free. Most of what I do is free actually, because the apps now support me. So I get, I get money from 10% happier and from calm to do stuff. And that ends up being what supports me so I can do a lot of other free things. A literal gold mine of stuff waiting for you that we'll make sure that we link to. Um, Jeff, I can't thank you enough for this. Thank you for making time for it. No problem. It was my pleasure. Uh, it's good to talk to you, Neil. You got a nice manner and uh, it's a good project you're involved in here. There you go. Jeff Warren from, among other places, the 10% Happier Meditation app and the book Meditation for Fidgety Skeptics, of, of which he is the co-author with Dan Harris from ABC News. Now, I got a note from the 10% Happier folks, um, and if you're not a 10% Happier member already, uh, this is a perfect time to do it, especially if you are a frontline healthcare worker because they have been offering free access to the 10% Happier app to healthcare workers. Um, all you do is you fill out a, a survey on their website and you get six months of free access. Well, they've also expanded that offer now to include the millions of grocery and food delivery workers making sure that we can feed ourselves and access the necessities of life during the pandemic. And so 10% Happier has reached out to those folks, and we're passing the word on as well that in addition to healthcare workers, grocery and food delivery workers can also go to the 10% Happier website, fill out an easy, one-minute survey and get a free six-month subscription, no strings attached. All the details are in the show notes and on our website at thesnoozebutton.com, where you can also find all kinds of other information and ways to leave questions for our panel of sleep experts. A ton of stuff there for you. So, uh, back next week with another brand new episode. Remember, the bonus episode that is also out as of this morning, a bonus sleep meditation from Jeff Warren. Hey, until we get together next week, my name's Neil Headley. Get some sleep, would you?